0: In Exodus chapter 4, verse 18, we'll be reading through the end of the chapter and that will be the substance of our text this morning. Exodus four eighteen. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt, and to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Then the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let. The people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met with him and sought to kill him. Then Zephora took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and he met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which had sent him, and all, uh, all the words of the Lord who had sent him, in, and all the signs which he had commanded him, that Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we do rejoice that here we are in an ancient text written some 3,500 years ago, and yet you have preserved it even down to our day. We should know of your dealings with the church of old, the church in an infancy, even as we heard in Corinthians, the, the infancy of that young congregation. Here we are, Lord, looking at the situation with the children of Abraham, the people of God, and yet in captivity, under bondage. And yet you, o Lord, remember them. As we see, as we are on the very cusp of seeing you bring them out, Father, we have these accounts, Lord bless us to hear from them, to see and learn, and apply the principles in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Back in chapter three, verse ten, we were preaching at a point we referred to this as the commissioning of Moses. Uh, God said, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There's the overall goal, the the task assigned to Moses. He's going to go down and bring a people that are in slavery and servitude and have been for 400 years. He's going to go down and bring them out. Moses surely does not understand how that will be, except that God has declared it, God will accomplish it. God has declared furthermore that he will fulfill the promise to Abraham and bring his descendants as numerous as the stars of the heaven into the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. We saw how Moses was immature in his faith. not surprising. He came out of bondage and, and was brought up into the household of Pharaoh and had the privileges of, of the royalty, and yet when he saw it by his own hand delivers people, uh, it was necessary that he fled, and he's been living in the household of a, a priest of Midian. We know very little about that. We'll get a better sense of who Jethro is later on. Indeed, it seems who Jethro becomes uh, because of his relationship to the people of God. But Moses, in his immaturity, was making excuses to God. And who won, who won the disagreement? Who won the argument? God did. And we see that as the text opened. So Moses went. God has prevailed. So often we see ourselves in Moses where he was a man just like us, flawed, weak, sinful, and yet he was a man of God's own choosing. That God should use Moses should be an encouragement to us today that God can accomplish his purposes in our day. They may be small things, and yet they're God's plan and purposes. They may be great things for some, and God is the Lord over them all. Moses also we look at his account. We were really early on in Moses. And we follow Moses along through this passage. Moses will leave us longing for someone more. Moses is a type. He's a remarkable man. God will say of him later on that there was no more humble man on the face of the earth. And yet Moses, he was not enough. He leaves us longing for more. And so as we look at Moses, used of God, see his imperfections, Let us rejoice. We have that one who is something more. The one who is the Lord of glory. The Lord Jesus came into the world with the task of saving sinners. Not bringing the people out of bondage in in the nation, but to bring us out of the bondage of sin. To deliver us from the bondage and the corruption of sin, the very death of sin that was in us. You see how much greater Christ is than Moses. That he was able to rescue and deliver us from the greatest bondage of all although Moses is a type of Christ and points to Christ he's not the Christ there will be another about 1500 years in round figures before the Christ would come but what we see in this text is God is still in control he's still moving things forward to that point when Christ will come Here we are now looking for the return of Jesus Christ. Some 2,000 years. The church is made up of men and women like Moses, flawed, imperfect, sinful. Yet God is still in control, moving things forward until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then comes the end. Nay, then comes the beginning. The new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. As God makes all things new. And we shall dwell forever with the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That we as the saints shall stand before the throne of God and enjoy the beauty of his holiness for all eternity. We're going to use four main headings this morning to organize and look at the text. Departing for Egypt. a Solemn warning for the rebellious. Trouble for the disobedient. And then a wonderful reunion, actually a succession of reunions as we'll see at the end of the portion we read. We begin with departing for Egypt. We find this in verses 18 through 22. Moses returns to his father's house, father-in-law's household. And notice he requests permission. I don't know about you children, you know, you're still in the household, you know, you, you expect you're, you're, eight or 12 or maybe even 16, 18, you're still in your father's household. You ask for permission to do things, at least appropriately you should. And here's Moses, he's 80 years old, and he's asking his father's permission. That may seem a little unusual. He asked permission to leave to return to Egypt. Moses says he wants to go check on the welfare of his brethren. That is the household of God, even as we are brethren. It's, you know, we tend to think of that as a male kind of term, but no, it's, it's broader than that, particularly in the New Testament. Brethren means the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. But Moses is concerned about his brother, and I think he thinks of it that same way. But let's consider, here this 80-year-old man requesting permission, requesting leave of his father-in-law. Jethro welcomed Moses into his household when Moses was a stranger. What was his his daughter said? You know, this was this Egyptian, because he looked like it, but he wasn't Egyptian. He was actually a, a Hebrew. He was a stranger, a strange man even. And yet Jethro welcomed him, showed him great kindness, gave Moses a daughter. What we see in this passage also is Moses is recognizing and keeping one of the principles of the fifth commandment, the duties of inferiors to superiors. The, the commandments are not yet written, and yet there is still something that written on Moses' heart. Yes, sin has disfigured, disfigured it, and yet Moses has an understanding that it is right that he should show respect and honor to his father-in-law. God has also just given Moses a new calling, and he's commissioned him to go down to Egypt to bring Israel out. And yet this does not exempt Moses from his duties to his employer. Well, that's Jethro has been his employer. He's been watching over the flocks of Jethro for some 40 years. Moses doesn't say, see ya, I'm leaving. He begs leave of him. He asks him to release him from his duties. Take notice of these things that Moses does not come to Jethro boasting of what has just taken place. There are certain branches of the church, if you get a so-called word of knowledge or some other thing, imagine otherwise. You don't want everybody to know about it. You're making a big deal about it. You know, Moses has just met with God in a wilderness place in a bush that burned, and yet that was not consumed. God has spoken to him. God has told him, "Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground." He said, "This remarkable encounter." Moses does not boast about this glorious encounter with the Creator of all the earth. As Christians, we should be grateful to God for all the spiritual blessings he gives us. We must be careful not to boast in the blessings. We boast in the Lord. Christian living requires discernment as to who we tell certain things and what we tell them. We're we're warned not to cast our pearls before, before swine. I'm not suggesting In this situation, that Jethro is swine, but that's the principle that we don't. We just go around telling people everything. I've encountered people, and I think there was a time when I was younger that that I just, you know, I meet somebody new, I just tell them everything. We need to be cautious. We need to have discernment. Here's Moses with discernment. He does not tell Jethro everything that's taking place, but he announces to him as legitimate. He wants to go check on the welfare of his brothers. Jethro will find out more later, even as we'll see as we make our way. Through the text. Well, later in the end of the verse, Jethro grants what Moses has requested. In verse 18, go in peace. Then God spoke to Moses. Moses, he's in Midian, Midian, that's where he's at. When he was at Sinai, he was way over on the backside. Mount Sinai is down at the tip of those of you that know your geography, down there, the tip of the Sinai Peninsula is some distance away. Let me just note that I mentioned some weeks ago about it was a three-day journey um, for them from there to Sinai. That would not be true. Um, don't know what to do with the three days. The three days into the wilderness that Moses is going to talk about. We'll, we'll unravel that more as we get into that actually taking place. But anyway, Moses is in Midian. He has. As um, near as I can record from um, a map that I have, the traveling distance. So just a straight out walking, you know, it might take six or seven days. It could take two weeks. You're in a wilderness area, you know, hardships that you're going to meet with, and so forth. Moses is leaving Midian to make his way to um, Egypt, to the capital region of Egypt. And God meets with him. Notice he assures him. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go, return to Egypt. This is a restatement of what he's already given to him. For all the men who sought your life are dead. That's going to be encouraging to Moses. He fled. Forty years, he's been away. He's wondered, does anybody remember who I am? Is there still, as we might think today, a search warrant out, a warrant for arrest for this man? He doesn't know. We're so used to knowing everything about everything all over the world. A world event happened on the other side of the globe, and you can know about it in minutes. That was not so back then. He doesn't know what the situation of Egypt is. He doesn't know who the Pharaoh is. He doesn't know the condition of his family. He doesn't even know if his brother and sister are alive. You know, 40 years, he's 80. His parents, you know, most likely are are dead. We never hear of them again, but there's just so much he doesn't know. But God assures him. This episode in verse 19 makes it known to us that God continues to speak to Moses throughout his leadership. He didn't need a burning bush as he moved forward. He's had this encounter, and Moses has come to understand who God is, to to understand the voice of God, even as we will, as we read Scripture consistently. And so God goes with him. Notice that this encounter, it lacks the glorious display. The Lord said to Moses, go. There's there's no record of any remarkable appearance that God is speaking to Moses, perhaps as he had to Abram years before. Those of us who have had that converting, saving encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, when having heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit works in us, uh, giving us a new heart, uh, renewing our will, granting us faith and repentance unto life, we, we, we hear the voice of God in that, not you know repercussion off our eardrums, but in the inner man we, the spirit speaks and we encounter the voice of God. But we also continue to hear the voice of God, not as Moses did, but from the pages of Scripture. So often people say, oh, I want to hear God. If God would only speak to me, if he could just tell me and make it clear, then I could go and do it. But God has said, no, you be a student of the word. When we study John 15, to, to abide in Christ, that what it is to abide in Christ? That, that is a word would abide in us. I highly commend to you St. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson's maturity. In the third chapter, I think it is, is on abiding in Christ. And he really delves into this, the use of the word, the meditating on the word. You you hear these things, and surely you should be thinking, well, that's what the scripture talks about. Psalm 71 celebrates it. The the wise man, the godly man, he has the word, and he meditates on it day and night. And he's fruitful. We hear God speak. Moses' situation was different. God is speaking to him in a way that he knows his God and is clear. So Moses, in verse 20, he takes his family and he departs. There's no minivans in those days, kids. Or you think about a wilderness area, there's no four-wheel drive SUV. They're going on a donkey. Anybody show up here this morning on a donkey? It might be exciting for a trip or two, but I can assure you, riding on a donkey across the wilderness will get uncomfortable after a while. There's no air conditioning. There's no phone jacks for your toys. There's no comfy seats. It's, it's a donkey. It's a wilderness area. And Moses is heading out with his wife and two sons. It's not real clear how old they are, but they are traveling. But notice the renaming. Of Moses' shepherd rod. When Moses is leading his sheep and he meets God on the backside of the wilderness, he has his shepherd's rod. And then he encounters with God and God makes something more of that shepherd's rod. And it will play a significant role, as, as we recounted back a couple of sermons ago, how that role of rod comes into play. And Moses took, what is it, the rod of God in his hand. So here's Moses with the rod of God that God's given to him as a tool and an instrument to be used in the work that he has to do, even as God is taking Moses, if we could say, as a rod in his hand to go down into Egypt to be his instrument whereby God will strike Egypt. Moses has gone from guarding sheep and guiding sheep. He's now going with the rod of God into Egypt to guide and to guard the people of God We are referred to as sheep. Well, that brings us, secondly, to a solemn warning for the rebellious. So he's on his way. We saw in verse 19, God speaks to him, go and return. And now the Lord said to Moses, he's talking to him again, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. And then God tells him, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God knows the plan. And here God's being merciful to Moses. He's, he's obeying God. He's on His way. God says, remember to do the miracles that I've put in your hand. You know, it was with His hand He put down the rod. It was with His hand that He took up the rod and re- became a servant and returned to being a rod. It was His hand that He put into His cloak. It came out less first. It returned it. It came out whole again. It's by His hand. He says, I'm going to send you down. But God tells him up front, He's not going to leave." listen to you. That's merciful. So that he would know not to despair. Uh, I think I mentioned before, you look at the opening of Jeremiah, the prophet who sees the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the destruction of Jerusalem and the Babylonian captivity. When God commissions Jeremiah, a young man, a prophet for many years, God says, I'm sending you to a people, and they will not listen to you. Not to a Pharaoh, but to my people and they will not listen to you. This is the reason the judgment was coming upon them. And so God was merciful. They would understand. Even so, in the history of the, the church, there are times when ministers of the gospel labor for decades, faithful ministers. I've read a few biographies of men who were faithful in the pulpit for 30, 40, 50 years. No converts. They might have felt like Jeremiah. Nobody's listening, but it's not that he's not listening. They're not listening to you. They're not listening to the Lord. It seems as though we're in a season, our day, where very few people are listening to the Lord. And so God tells Moses. So Moses is a man who went from a slave to being a prince, and then a fugitive on the run from the king of Egypt. But now he's returning not with the power of man, not with the lofty wisdom and great wealth of a prince of Egypt. Moses comes as God's ambassador. We read um, from 2 Corinthians 5 where God says that it has been given to us the ministry to be ambassadors for God. God would reconcile His people, the people in the world to Himself. Moses, going to Pharaoh, Although it didn't look this way, he probably came a crude dress. He's come from a wilderness area. He doesn't have the tailors of Egypt to make him fine garments. And he goes into the royal palace. And you can imagine the royal officials around Pharaoh kind of scoffing, who is this man? But the man who walked into their midst, Moses, the man of God, the prophet of God, was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Because he was God's man, God's tool. It's wonderful to read church history. You see men like John Knox and Samuel Rutherford and John Calvin. We could go on and on. They were they were men like us, like Moses. And yet God used them. They were powerful men. Think of Martin Luther and the upheaval that took place in Europe and, and even spilled out into other nations. The, the impact upon history and the nations of the world even to this day. Moses goes as a man of God to confront Pharaoh a man in rebellion against God. Notice that God tells Moses, as we mentioned, it's it's not going to go smoothly. God did not want Moses to become discouraged. He wanted to know the way it was. So, think about this. God tells him, he says, "You, um, you say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. That's a priority. amongst all people, it would seem that firstborn sons are a priority. There's a great deal of emphasis placed upon them. And so it was that God speaks of Israel, my firstborn son. And then he says, you will say, I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, what? I will kill your son and then it's emphasized, your firstborn son. Release my firstborn son. What's going to cost you your firstborn son? But you see in this, God's telling him the way it's going to turn out. God's told him the end, even at the beginning, that ultimately you're going to lose your firstborn son. And God's at work in that. He's setting before Israel a principle. That his redeemed them. And you find as we move into numbers, Leviticus and Numbers, that God would redeem the firstborn. They belong to him. The Levites stand in the place of these firstborn sons that did not die in the Passover. And all that ultimately is pointing to the firstborn son of God, the only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Passover Lamb. Here's Pharaoh a nation of people, millions strong, their cries in servitude, and he said, no compassion, no concern. He does not care for them. Now God is going to show no compassion to Egypt. God's going to strike them. God's going to visit judgments on Egypt, the likes of which had never been seen up to that point in history and arguably since then. Verse 23, God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh how it's going to turn out. I'm going to take your firstborn son. And yet, Pharaoh continues to harden himself. And so we see that it is that those who had hardened their hearts to the Lord in the day of his visitation shall suffer judgments that the human mind cannot comprehend. Even so, as the gospel has been preached down through the generations, there are those who come under the sound of the gospel. They they hear of their sin. They're shown the need of Christ. Christ is set before them as the only hope of glory that those who ever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and yet people will not. They won't heed the voice of God. They refuse, and, and there's judgments coming upon them. As I just said a moment ago, the likes of which is beyond human understanding. It's hard for us to comprehend what hell will be like. Scripture describes you, know, a lake burning with fire where the worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. A place of darkness, a place of aloneness and separation that the one is ever present is the wrath of a holy God upon a wicked sinner on and on through all eternity, millennium, thousands upon thousands of years with no end. Because they do not... Heed the voice of God in the day of visitation to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We learn from this that every faithful gospel minister should tell the end of all human flesh that refuses to come to God in Christ Jesus. It's a lake of fire. Dr. Reeder was taken home to glory and in his podcast they were recounting some of his material on uh, what it is to die in the Lord and to go to heaven and what to expect. And yet he was also, they replayed some of his material about what hell is like. And how often men shy away from that. Men in the pulpit, they don't want to offend. It sounds terrifying. It is terrifying. What kind of minister would a, would a man of God be if he does not warn people to what the end is? There's only two places. That's one of the things Dr. Reeder stresses. There's, there's two outcomes. As I've told you, there's, there's only two kind of people on the earth. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. In the end for those who are in Christ, is eternal blessing and bliss beyond imagination. And the only other alternative is the lake of fire. That is called hell. There's no other end. And that's lies. Heed and take it to heart. God sent His only begotten Son into the world to save sinners. To to remove them out from the judgment and the wrath because Christ has taken that wrath and to bring them into His household to make them sons of the living God, to welcome them, to love them, to embrace them because before the foundation of the earth this was His purpose, this was His plan and He has carried it out. Why, oh why, do you, oh sinner, why do you resist the call of God, the merciful call of life everlasting in the Lord Jesus Christ? It's because you're like Pharaoh. Hard heart that refuses to come. What happens next is most remarkable. Um, perhaps some of you, as you've read through the scripture, you come to this passage and you're left a little bit bewildered. You know, as we're reading these things, you know Moses is on the way. He's called. He's going down. He's got a mission. He's got the rod of God. Everything just seems wonderful. And then what? We come to verse 24, and it came to pass on the way at the encampment, they spent the night, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. You might reread that. It's like, uh, did I miss something? Or is that printed wrong? No, this is what took place. How is it that the man of God, Moses, called and commissioned by God to lead Israel out of the bondage, is met by the Lord who has sent him and now is seeking to kill him? Simply put, We read the text of it, Moses has failed to apply the sign and the seal of the covenant to one of his sons. We're told when he left, he's left with his wife and sons, and here is one particular son. Now, I can assure you commentators have spilled a lot of ink different positions on this text, but I don't think it's all that difficult. And, and, you know, faithful commentators that we would trust and rely, they pretty much agree that this is what's happened The command to circumcise the male child was not a new commandment. God gave it to Abraham, perhaps nearly 500 years before, at least 400 and some, close to, yeah, 500 years before. Abraham was Moses' great, 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 I don't know how many greats in their grandfather. God gave this, this is a a family dynamic, indeed the whole of Israel, they're they're all the family, they're the children of Abraham. God had passed this down and we we tend to remember things in the family and and yet Moses remembered to do it with the one son, but he hasn't done it with the other son. And what's given to us here helps us to understand what happened. The fact that the poor could circumcise the one son tells us very plainly he had not been circumcised. That's not in dispute. Now, think of what's just happened. Moses has uh, been encountered by God. God sought him out. God found him. God called him. God's given him a commission. And in all this, we've been hearing about God in the wilderness, of meeting uh, Moses and sending him to his people, remembering his people. All of this encounter that Moses has had, what does it tell us? God, the L-O-R-D, the Lord, the covenant faithful Lord, is faithful to his covenant. Moses would have come away from that. Even as the children of Israel are going to rejoice that God has remembered them. He said he would. He's faithful to his covenant in all his dealings, and that there's a responsibility for man. What was it? God said to Abraham, "You, know, I made this covenant with you. I want you to put a sign and seal on your male children. They're to be circumcised on the eighth day." That's what Mo- that's what Moses was to do. That was his responsibility. God's been faithful. God's sending him. God's showing him mercy. Moses needed to circumcise both of his sons, and Moses hadn't done it. He's been disobedient to the very God who's commissioned and sent him. Moses may have thought it was a small thing. God does not see it as a small thing. To fail to put the sign and the seal of the covenant upon our children is a sin. We can marvel that God doesn't meet us in the way when we fail to do this. Moses came home, showed respect to Jethro as his father-in-law. He deferred to him as an inferior to the superior, and he's concerned about his thoughts. And yet Moses has not thought about God, the covenant faithful God, his responsibility before God to circumcise his other son. God places a great deal of emphasis on the sacraments. In 1 Corinthians, we see that. We're warned that the use of the misuse of the Lord's Supper, if we fail to use it with self-examination and determination, what do we read there? Some have done that, and for this cause, many are sick, and some have died. These were believers. God was chastening them as a father with a child, some of them even unto the point of death. Moses was being killed by God because he had not been faithful in the use of the sacraments. Moses' sin was one of omission. He omitted or failed to do what God had commanded. God called Moses then to do a great work. He's being given a tremendous responsibility to be the leader of God's people, and yet he's neglecting what may have seemed like a small thing. It's something quickly accomplished, and yet he's not done it. He's refusing to obey God. And how can this man obey God in all that lies before him if he will not obey God in this that all those in Israel were to do. We'll find out later on in the Exodus that they come to the, to the brink of the River Jordan to cross over and it is Joshua who tells the people, circumcise. And there's this great circumcision that takes place because they've been neglecting it. After all the faithfulness of God to bring them out and to care for them in the wilderness for 40 years, God's been faithful and they've not been faithful. Is that not often how it is in our lives? we read texts like this and we understand and we might go, God, what's wrong with these people? Go look in the mirror. What is wrong? We're sinners. And even in, in simple things, in um, seemingly small things, we, we neglect them. God calls on us to be faithful. And so it is that by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, we're faithful. And we should take great encouragement for it is God who works in us both to will... To do the thing. And to do. He gives us the power to do the thing. God enables us. That's Paul at the end of his, his uh, monologue, if you will, in Romans 7. Where he's talking about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And he comes in and said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Right, believer? Thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses is Immature. And God is teaching him. God is his father. He's chasing him, teaching him, instructing him as he's moving along. He's even on the way. He's going in obedience to do what he didn't want to do, what he argued about doing. He's going, and yet he's neglected something, and God teaches him, you need to take care of this too. Well, as we read on, it seems that the real situation is Zipporah. Remember, Zipporah is the daughter of the priest of Midian. So, as the Lord sought to kill him, verse 25, then Zipporah took a sharp stone. Well, Moses can't. He's He's dying. Take that seriously, he can't do much anything, he's dying. She took a sharp stone, a flint, which was actually what it was to be formed with, not a knife, it was supposed to be done with a flint. And she cut off the foreskin from her son, and she cast it, And the, the, the Hebrew there is it's, it's a violent throwing of the foreskin. She cast it at Moses' feet, which is euphemism for actually his groin. And said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he circumcised the first one that he was obedient that he is being faithless Hebrew. But there's some tension between him and his wife over the circumcising the second one. She sees what it entails and maybe she's appalled by it. Probably was. And so it's not been done. And so to save her husband's life, to regain him, blood is spilled. Don't miss the irony. Moses is saved by a foreign woman for the second time in his life. It was the daughter of Pharaoh that saved him out of the river. And now it's Zipporah, the daughter of a priest of Midian, who saves Moses' life by doing what he had not done. That her heart is broken. She's unwilling to continue to risk. She would not lose her husband in this wilderness place, so she carries it out. And then we're told, verse 26, so he let him go. That is God. Let him go. Whatever it was that God was afflicting him unto death, God ceased. And she says it again, you are a husband of blood. Because of the circumcision. You know who wrote these words? Moses. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was happened. He was there. God requires our full obedience. It is remarkable when we consider how God is so patient with us. We sin every day. And yet God does not strike us. Why? Because of the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ, but as we read in the book of Hebrews, that the Father who uh, who loves the Son will discipline His Son. He wants Him to grow and mature. Even so, the Lord uh, brings adversity and hardships in our lives as a means of chastening us, changing our course, waking us up, re- recovering and restoring us. And sometimes, because of our sin, we suffer consequences for what we've done. And yet, God is merciful. But there are times. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, there were those who misused the Lord's Supper and they were dead. They didn't perish in hell, but they were dead. They had died physically because of misuse of the sacraments. Well, it's not recorded here, but the record of Exodus indicates that Zipporah and her sons returned to her father's household at this point. It's not recorded here, but when we come to 18, they've come out of the Exodus. Jethro comes to see Moses and to hear how it went. And he brings the poor and the sons with him. We live in a day where the church thinks little about the things of God. And the sacraments are often set aside or misused or misunderstood. There have been those who use the label of Reformed. And that weekly they come to worship and you can just go to a a portal in the wall and help yourself to bread and wine. That's not the sacraments of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is to be a fencing of the table. There's supposed to be a warning that we eat and drink in a worthy manner. And then we wonder about the condition of the church in our day. We're going to see this throughout the account of Corinth. The parallels between Corinth and the record of Israel here in Exodus are remarkable. Paul tells us in one of the chapters in Corinthians, he said these things, the Old Testament, were written for our instruction. Are we receiving that instruction? Are we heeding what God is saying? Let us who love the Lord God with all our hearts, mind, and strength study to understand that baptism and the Lord's Supper are significant. So let us use them well. Improve on your baptism. Children, that's even for you. Some of you, most of you, are, you're baptized when you're so little that you have no recollection, and yet God has put a sign and seal upon you. And he says to improve on that. He's promised to be your God. He is your God. Draw near to him. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And Yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. We haven't done it in a while. I plan to do it. That Review the larger catechism when it comes to the Lord's Supper. You can do that at any time. Take a look at those questions. Very helpful that we would rightly use the Lord's Supper. Well, let's look forthly at a wonderful reunion. So God told Moses while he was still on Mount Oreb that Aaron was coming out to meet him. Well, here we read that God speaks to Aaron and tells him to go out and meet his brother. God called and sent these men and he brought them out to one another in a wilderness place. Remember, there's no picking up the phone and hey, I'll rendezvous with you at the cross ride of South and Maine. They're in a wilderness. Remember, God governs all his creatures, all their actions. I was thinking about this. It'd be like me deciding I'm going to go visit my brother who lives in Ohio. So I just start driving towards Ohio. And at the same time, coincidentally, he decides, I'm going to go visit my brother who lives around. And he just starts driving eastward. And lo and behold, we meet up in eastern Pennsylvania at the same diner, at the same time. What's the probability of that? No no calls, no prearrangements. This is remarkable what happens. There they are. And we're told in the account that uh, the Lord says, verse 27, Go into the wilderness and meet uh, meet Moses. So he went and he met him on the mountain of God, that is, uh, and he kissed him. I think about this. The reunion that Joseph had with his brothers when he finally revealed to them who he was. I think that this reunion of Moses and Aaron was something like that, 40 years. It's like a whole generation. They, they've known nothing of one another. Moses and Aaron they don't know if the other one's still alive. They, they know how they don't know how it's gone with them. they don't know anything about them. And yet here they are and they find they're alive and well and they have this joyous reunion. Kissing was the custom. One had been a slave in Egypt and the other had fled because he committed murder and now they're reunited. And then verse 28. We're told that Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord. Remember, God said to Moses, you are to be as God to Aaron. I will speak to you, and you tell Aaron. And so Moses does. He tells him all the words of the Lord. What Lord? What covenant faithful Lord? The one who had sent him. And the signs which he had commanded him. That's not clear that he did them. He tells them. This is the telling of the signs. He doesn't perform them. Maybe he did, but it's just not clear. And then Moses and Aaron, they went and they gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And that would have been a wonderful reunion. Moses, coming Aaron, bringing him, gathering the elders of the twelve tribes of Israel, coming together. What a reunion and celebration that would have been. They've had no knowledge of Moses. It's not exactly clear how much everybody knew about Moses. I suspect that as it is in any community when Moses was put in the basket by his mother and then he was taken up by Pharaoh's daughter and he goes to the household of Pharaoh then you know the word about this going on was spread around you know then he, you know, he strikes down the, the one uh, Egyptian who's striking a Hebrew they went around because the next day those guys you know Moses looked around didn't see anybody, but they'd have been seen and it's known and so people would have known something that is Moses and then the word goes throughout the camp he's met with the elders he's come again. But I think what causes them to celebration is then in verse 30, in Aaron, notice who's speaking. Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. It's happening just as God commanded it. A concession that God gave to Moses. He said, you speak to Aaron, Aaron will speak to the people. And then he did the signs. See, that's why I think he didn't do it with Moses with Aaron. He did the signs in the sight of the people. So now Moses is with the people. He's met with the elders. They've convened the people. He's meeting with the people. Oh, what a reunion. And the reunion was so great. Why? They saw these signs. They heard the words of God from Moses to Aaron. And so the people believed. How did that happen? Was it because they were a little better Hebrews than some of the other? No. They believed because the Spirit of the living God was at work. Faith comes from God. It is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8.9 God Gave the ability. They believe. Does it, believe they're, 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 does it mean they're believing on uh, the promises of God? Is this a justifying belief? No, as we will see. But they believe that God had met with Moses. God had sent Moses. They see the signs that these are signs because of God, and they believe that God, what had looked on their affliction, that the promise that God made to Abraham—that his children would be in Egypt for 400 years and then He would bring them out. That promise that they had held on to. They believed it. And what was their response? They bowed and they worshipped. It's a proper response, isn't it? In a sense, you know, we're, we're not bowed here, but we come before God and we come before Him with respect and honor. We come with reverence to Him. We bow and we worship the Lord of God. Can you see how this points to the Lord Jesus Christ? Why did Jesus come? What well, was the will of the Father. God had decreed it. Why? Because He saw the affliction. When, when Adam sinned, it was but one man and one woman. And yet God knew that the affliction of sin would be upon all men. And God announced that in the fullness of time there would be one born of the woman. There would be that one who was the seed of the woman, who in the fullness of time would come to redeem a people. It points to Christ even as God looked on the affliction of the church of old, God looked upon the affliction of His people and He sent His Son into the world to save sinners. Well, we've heard here in this text, we've heard the warning of God to those who refused to obey Him and rebel against His command. We've heard how the Lord afflicted Moses for His disobedience, His servant. We've heard how God brought a message of hope and promise for deliverance from bondage for His people. Through his messenger, Moses, the one drawn out, the one who draws out. All of this then points to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ comes with the law's loud thunder. The judgments that are upon a sinner who will not repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, they also hear not the law only the law of God, but we hear the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. That whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Unlike Moses, Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, came willingly, came obediently. He didn't negotiate. He didn't object. He didn't argue. He didn't disagree. He came fully committed to do what the Father commanded. Jesus kept the covenant of works that Adam failed to keep. Jesus kept the ceremonial law that pointed to him while he lived on the earth. Jesus kept and fulfilled the covenant of grace that he had made with his father in order that he would redeem his people with his own life's blood. Jesus also came performing signs and wonders, as had Moses. Jesus came as the prophet that Moses prophesied about in Deuteronomy. He came as the living word, that word that spoke to Moses, the word that was within Moses that he Told to Aaron, Jesus is that Word. He came, the Word made flesh and dwelled among us. Among us, what did Jesus preach? He was preaching to repent to, rebe- to rebe- rebellious sinners. He says, "Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand." And yet the people rebelled, and they crucified their Messiah. Jesus was obedient unto death. Remember, I said in the outset that. Encounter with Moses, looking at Moses, it leaves us longing for someone more. Jesus is that one more. He came, fully obedient, obedient unto death. Jesus was cut off from the land of living in order to rescue sinners and bring them home to God. Because Jesus was obedient, there has been a reunion with God and man. And all oh, that reunion, believer, you remember. God opened your eyes. God worked in your heart. He brought, brought you near to Him. What a reunion it was. You were apart from God. You were away in the world, a sinner. And there was, you were brought into a relationship you knew nothing of. By Christ, you were brought to your Creator. And oh, glorious reunion that was. It's for this reason. When the angel announced the birth of the Christ, and the same, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace towards men of good will. What is your response to God's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has your heart longed for something more, and has your heart found its longing in Christ as God has worked? Then praise be to God for His great salvation, and indeed, let us bow our heads, and worship. Amen. O oh God, our Father, we do thank You and praise You for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You that You sent Him into the world to save sinners, that You did not leave us as we were. You did not leave us in our state of rebellion, death and iniquity, hell-bound, that You intervened. You interposed with Christ and His blood. You demonstrated Your love to us Even while we were yet sinners. You sent Christ to die for us that because he was the son of God and the king of glory, that it was not possible that the grave should hold him. And even as we mark and celebrate it week by week on the Lord's day, he came forth victorious. The victory won over Egypt was wrought by you, O God. But how great is that victory that has been won by the heel of your son, the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent's head and defeated death in the grave and has brought a host home to heaven. We praise you and thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.